something outside. What is that? Monstrex Radio, Shane Corson here. I am your host this evening. Monstrex Radio is brought to you by Sasquatch Coffee, the delicious Sasquatch Coffee. Have you tried it yet? We're uh, you know in the midst of the Christmas season, and I highly recommend Sasquatch Coffee. If you haven't tried it, you know um, jump on SasquatchCoffee.com and order yourself some. There's plenty of great flavors, something for everyone. Uh, well, today. I have a fantastic guest, uh, a good friend of mine and fellow researcher in Shelley Covington, Montana. Uh, Shelley's a, a Bigfoot researcher based out of the great state of Texas. She's a fellow Olympic Project member, a wilderness and wildlife enthusiast who is very, um, very adamant about preservation and conservation. And uh, she's somebody that I admire greatly, and she's pretty well known for um, uh, her DNA kits that she's putting out there, her wildlife DNA kits. It's uh, kind of become a staple for Shelly, and it's something she's, she's very adamant about uh, sharing with people uh, as for a pro-science approach to Bigfoot research in collecting uh, physical evidence in a method that uh, science can appreciate and that, uh, you know, it's, it's better than pretty much whatever he's been up to the last, you know, uh, number of years. And so, um, like I said, good friend of mine, Shelly, coming to Montana, and I know she's here with me now. Shelly, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you, Shane? I'm doing fantastic. I'm I'm really stoked that uh, you have uh, time, because I know you're a busy, busy uh, woman, uh, to join me here on Monster X Radio. Uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I admire you greatly. Uh, you're, you're just a fantastic researcher. You've been kind of... Um, well, you've been really busy, but you've been kind of sought after in the last uh, couple of years as as a go-to person for um, conferences, for um, interviews, and uh, for those out researchers, they want to research with you, and that's that's something to be commended. And uh, I truly appreciate you joining uh, joining Monstrex Radio. Uh, dude, you <laughs> give me too much credit. I I'm just a simple girl from Texas. What are you talking about? I I just want, you know, anybody can be like me. We're just simple people. The, the, the majority of, of us that are looking and researching uh, cryptids and Bigfoot in general mm-hmm. are just regular people, and that's who I am. And I'm just trying <laughs> to make that regular guy understand he can do it the right way. That's all. Yeah, well, if, if that's what simple is, then I'm 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 a little intimidated because you're uh, I, I find oh, you far whatever. from far from simple. <laughs> but anyways, 
enough with blowing your head up here. Um, Shelly, uh, I've had you on the show before, uh, and but just for we for our audience and some of our new um, audience members, can you just, other than what I just reiterated, can you just give the audience a little bit uh, about yourself, a little bit of a background on yourself, please? Sure. Um, well, a middle-aged woman, I'm, I'm no scientist, first and foremost. Um, I was raised by a law enforcement officer. My family is in law enforcement. Um, my husband of 30 years had an encounter in the early 80s, and we had um, visited and talked about it, which I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me because it happened here in Texas. And back in the 80s, the early 80s, Bigfoot wasn't considered a Texas creature by any means. And, um, but we had discussed over and over his encounter with this entity that would, would, um, he was out hunting in uh, East Texas and by himself and something was circling his camp and breaking, breaking large branches and, uh, talking to him about, I mean, on a weekly basis. It, it, it was like a Sunday afternoon conversation between me and him. And um, anyway, I finally figured out he probably encountered a Bigfoot. And he didn't want, he his only, um, it, what he said to me was, I didn't want you to think I was crazy. And I knew at that moment, what what I was probably dealing with, and after our kids grew up, after our kids left home, that was was my focus. I wanted to find out what had happened to my husband and what was in our area. Um, it led me on a huge journey into, um, of course, the internet and what I could find out about quote-unquote Bigfoot Sasquatch. And uh, I did that for a couple of years before I ever delved into the Bigfoot community or, or the forums and um, just figuring out what I could find out about it because I'd always been raised, you know, with um, wildlife conservation and uh, being from a family of ranchers and raising cattle and living in Texas where, you know, cattle, hogs, all those things are extremely important and part of our lives. Um, This was something different, and I wanted to find out the truth. And being involved with law enforcement, my family being involved with law enforcement, I wanted to delve into the truth of the matter, not just saying I was a believer but finding out what was truth and what wasn't. Um, so that led me to creating this wildlife DNA kit. Because what was more important to me was what was not Bigfoot slash Sasquatch before I could claim what was. And that's my journey today. Um, I believe we can really focus more about discounting those things before we try to prove what's going on is Bigfoot. 
because if we don't discount those things, we're just chasing our own tails. Mm -hmm. That's basically where I'm at. Yeah, well, yeah, and and much more. I mean, these DNA kits – uh, can you talk a little bit about the DNA kits, kind of what's in them, and, and what your goal is with these DNA kits? Because uh, I know that you you, you put them together. Uh, people can purchase them. I've, I've seen you sell quite a few at the conferences. Uh, I, I use them. I know a lot of other researchers use them. I see them use them online. I talk to them. They're using them. Um, and so I can see the benefit. But can you talk about a little bit about what's in these, these uh, collection kits and what's your goal with, with these kits? Oh, sure. Well, so when all this started, it was simply meant to be a tool for myself. It it wasn't meant to – I didn't create them to sell them. I didn't create them for other Bigfooters or researchers. I only created one kit for myself because I wanted to be true to – the facts, because that was what I was taught. You know, my dad is a uh, retired DPS law enforcement officer in the narcotics division with um, Texas Rangers. um, How do I put it? He's considered a Texas Ranger. Anyway, I needed to be true to what he would expect of me. And, um, talking about Bigfoot or telling my family, oh, I'm out researching this entity called Sasquatch or Bigfoot was not going to be taken seriously unless I went about it in a serious way. So I didn't want to be running around in the woods looking like a fool, just, you know, saying everything was Bigfoot. I wanted to do it the way my father would expect me to do it. it. He raised two young women. He didn't raise boys, but he treated us like boys, and we were expected to do exactly what he told us was the right way to do it. And so that's what I wanted to do. So I thought to myself, what I had seen on the Internet when I had done, I had done two solid years of full-blown, all-day, like, a full-time job from 8 o'clock in the morning till probably 10 o'clock at night for two years, looking at Internet, blogs, anything I could find on the Internet about Bigfoot. And what I was noticing was that people would just come up and say, oh, this is Bigfoot evidence, and they would have hair, you know, and they'd be holding it in their hands, but they wouldn't have any kind of protective gloves on or anything to keep them from contaminating the actual evidence. Um, And I thought to myself, well, that's not the way my dad would do it. That's not the way any criminal investigation group would do it. You might as well lick it at that point. I mean... You know, I mean, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. And it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help me. You know, in in um in my work, it wouldn't help me prove anything because I was also seeing people saying that these things could possibly be part human, and 
you know, of course, I don't know. I don't know what they are. I, all I know is I need to do it the right way. And I'm not a scientist, but what can I do to help myself? Because this kit was all created for me, nobody else. But I wanted my dad to, have, to approve it. So I contacted the medical community and said, look, I want to collect wildlife DNA, but I want it to be up to human standards because some people are saying these things are human or there's human contamination going on when they're sending off any kind of samples, you know, to have DNA collection or scientific collection because we know that now we know that DNA collection is extremely sophisticated and uh, it, it, it's just a whole bunch of rigmarole that I didn't want. I don't know anything about. I didn't want to deal with, but I wanted to create something for myself that if I did find some kind of suspect evidence and I sent it off, it wouldn't look like it was me that had contaminated it. So I contacted the medical community. I also looked online at what a wildlife DNA kit would cost me if I wanted to just buy one for myself. They're into the hundreds of dollars. I mean, anywhere from 200 to $500 and of course, that's not an option for me. I'm just a simple girl from Texas. I don't make a ton of money, but, you know, I I wanted something to carry in my backpack just in case. So when I contacted the medical community, told them what I was doing, they gave me standards and they gave me ideas, and they told me what I needed to put into the kit. So, and then I also listened to other researchers like, Cliff Bertman and um, I'll think of other names, but people who were doing DNA analysis or DNA collection of how they collected it and what we needed. And so the kit within itself is very simple. It's put into a, just a, a regular plastic bag so it's protected from the elements because if you're in the field, you're most likely going to, you know, run into rain or water elements or humidity and things like that. And so I wanted it to be protected from that. I also wanted it to be lightweight. Um, so just a, a plastic gallon bag, Ziploc bag, was worthy of the cause. Um, but... Now, what you got to realize, at this point in the game, the DNA kit, I think, has now evolved into the fourth elevation. Like, I've redone it four times. And just because I couldn't or I didn't have the resources to use the people I needed to use or the companies and... um I just wanted it to be um, up to human standards, you know, to where there was no, it was completely sterile. Like if you walked into a hospital and you had something done, like you got stitches, everything that they used on you were up to human standards. That is where our DNA kit is today. 
Um, we have uh, the collection for blood. We also have the ability to collect um, scat. We also have the ability to collect hair. Anything you want to collect, this kit can provide those collection devices for you. How to collect it, there is also a um, information sheet and an instruction sheet from Cindy Dosen who will do the hair analysis for you, but she also provided us with the proper way to collect evidence in, in wildlife and human evidence. Um, it also has a fecal flesh blood swab in, included in the kit. That way you can um, actually do a, a buccal swab with your cheek, you know, meaning your own DNA can be sent off with the DNA collection so that whoever is doing the analysis, they can compare your DNA to what is collected so that it's not considered contaminated. Um, and these kits I've provided are only around $40. Um, so that is my goal. My goal today is to help people or help people with a tool. Um, we can give speculation, our beliefs, our ideas on what Bigfoot is and what Bigfoot does, but it really doesn't give us answers. What gives us answers is proof, and pro-proof is truth. We need facts, and we need factual evidence. Um, suspected evidence is great. Um, it's entertaining to to put that out there and see what people come up with, but it really does us no good. Um, my interest is really about proof because I spend my own money doing this, and I spend many, many months, many, many hours, and many, many thousands of hundreds of dollars doing this for my own, you know, satisfaction, but I really am more interested just in the facts of what Sasquatch is. I, mm -hmm. I want to be involved with the discovery as a whole. And whatever I can do to attribute to the Bigfoot community, I will do. But I feel like providing a tool for many people to be able to use at a, you know, a small cost is, is just a start. You know, I think everybody has a niche. I find that factual evidence is my niche. And whatever I can do to help with factual evidence is what I want to help people do. Mm -hmm. And if everybody would find their niche and make themselves an expert at that one thing, we could get together and bring those things together to help maybe further, you know, our research in what this entity really is and at the end of the day, I just want to protect it and um, bring it to the real world that we we are the keepers 
and we have something that nobody else has. We have the great North American Sasquatch, and we are so lucky. And whatever I can do to preserve that and to help the species and to be true to the species is what is most important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That's that's fantastic, Shelley. And one of the things I really love about your approach and about what you're doing with these DNA kits, um, you start out with an idea, and it's developed over time. These DNA kits are constantly being um, upgraded based on science and fellow researchers and what you're finding uh, to add to these DNA kits. I mean, it started out simple, and, and it's, it's much more than that now. You know, hooking up with uh, the likes of Cindy Dosen out of uh, – uh, Vancouver Island, you know, she's got her niche, you know, with the hair and adding her um, her uh, value and her ideas to it, and then uh, building upon that, uh, this DNA kit is is uh, something that every single researcher should have uh, in their backpack when they're out in the field, bar none. Uh, I've I've uh, shoot, I've used your DNA kit more times than I can mention. I run through them and I have to get more, and. Uh, you know, I, I've used them with you. You've come out to the nest site, and we've, we've collected hair. Um, before you were out to the nest site, I used your DNA kits to collect hair and other samples. Um, I've seen um, the likes of uh, uh, other researchers using your DNA kits. It, it's really, for me, it's not rocket science. You should have one of these DNA kits uh, uh, available and in your hand when you're out in the field because if you're collecting things in the wrong manner or don't have the right tools, uh, then you're really doing not just yourself a disservice, but the, the species a dis- disservice, uh, you know, exactly. and, 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 and the collection of it. So, no, kudos to you. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, how, how can people, um, if, say, somebody, you know, listening to the show wanted a DNA kit, um, how could somebody obtain one um, that you put together? Oh, well, I mean, honestly, I'm, you know, you can contact me through Facebook, through email at scovington1963 um, at gmail.com or at my Facebook page, Shelly Covington, Montana. Um, but the best way is to visit me at a conference, of course, because mm-hmm. I'll always have them there for sale. And you're exactly right, you know, Adam Davies is the gentleman that really launched my um, my DNA kits because we were out at the Olympic Project. The first time I ever showed up there, Adam Davies was there, and we had been discussing and talking, and we went out that night. We had some really extraordinary, cool activity. You were there, and... Mm-hmm. Um, the next day, he was like, Shelly, we got to go back to the area where we had any kind of activity, possible activity. We got to section off each area and do a in-depth, extreme search for any kind of evidence. And we did that. And, and we found some hairs. It came back, I think, what... Um, Adam came back with, I don't remember if it was something, it was something like badger or a bit possible. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, it was either, I, I forgot Tom, it was either weasel or badger or some, something along those lines. Weasel or yeah. badger or something. But 
at the end of the day, the, the most important thing to me is these DNA kids are not called Bigfoot DNA kids. They're called wildlife DNA kids because right. I really want to discount all wildlife before I call anything a Bigfoot or the evidence of Bigfoot or the suspect evidence of Bigfoot because I think that's way overused. I think people assume way too quickly before they discount anything else first, you know, and and that's our job. We we should really, I mean, for me, it's it's extremely important. It's strictly science. I need to discount everything first before I ever call it Bigfoot evidence. So even though we have activity in an area, I need to discount everything else first. And I will never know what everything else is. So we're learning all the time. That's what these kids do. They teach you so many other things that you didn't expect because I believe that Julie Wrench had collected some hair, sent it off to Cindy Dozen. Yeah. It came back, I believe it's Bobcat or something. Yeah, Bobcat. Yeah. Yeah, and they had thought or the area was not known for Bobcat anymore. Right. It was known to be extinct in the area, and guess what? It wasn't because of how Julie um, went about her research. She took the evidence, sent it in, and it came back something that was thought as unknown, which is super, by the way, that is super exciting because what else we're finding out is that people are finding new species with kids like mine. And mm-hmm. um, that's, isn't that what we're about? We're, exactly. you know, Bigfoot is a new, new species. So how cool is that? It may not be Bigfoot all the time, but it may be something else. And so you're doing your due diligence, as you say, Shane, and I've been actually contacted by some primatologists who say, wow, this is great. Thank you so much. You're doing our work for us because we don't have the funding to put that many people in the field to collect the evidence. But if you're getting something that's different than or new and you report back to us, we are we are able to get funding to go out in the field and do that. So mm-hmm. we're doing more than Bigfoot evidence with a wildlife DNA kit. Yeah. Shelly, you know, that's the epitome of, of a, a citizen scientist. I've had a, a, uh, over the last couple of months a few people take aim at me for saying, uh, citizen scientist is nothing more than an ego thing where, where uh, you're calling yourself a citizen scientist. But to, to me, uh, it, it, partaking in these endeavors and, and utilizing the tools out there and reporting back to science, that to me is the epitome of a citizen scientist. So I have no problem with that word or that, that tagline. I love citizen science, and, and scientists will call it just that, citizen science. It's, it's citizens utilizing the scientific method to obtain uh, you know, uh, obtain um, tangible uh, pieces of evidence 
in any endeavor. And so I have no problem with that. Um, and then also, you know, um, what I've noticed too is that uh, nowadays, um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will agree with this, is that you can call yourself a researcher or an investigator uh, very easily. You just, you know, you, you make a YouTube video and you're an investigator or a researcher. You can jump on Facebook. You can just, you could write a blog. And I, I, you know what? I have no problem calling somebody a researcher or an investigator. But once again, if to me, if they do not, if they're not taking the right steps, right measures to to uh, have that um, name as a researcher then they're really not. And I think that everybody <laughs> that's out there researching in the field, because I think there's online researchers, and I'll give them that tagline, and there's went on. But if you're in the field, if you do not have a DNA kit, uh, some sort of way to properly collect evidence, then you're not, a, you're not true to the name researcher or an investigator, um, just as if, if a, a, uh, a real investigator, a police officer went out, um, or a private investigator, wasn't utilizing... Uh, what, what they should be, they couldn't be, they couldn't call themselves that. And so, um, I think you're all of that and a bag of potato chips. But I think uh, everybody should have a DNA kit, um, whether it's from Shelley Covington, uh, Montana, or uh, one they put together. Uh, you know, having done a lot of research as you have, they should have one in their pack. Otherwise, you're not really true to the form or true to the uh, investigating. Uh, method. So um, I just wanted to throw that in there because I think right. it's very important that people have all the tools at their disposal and they're ready to go. And then who knows what the outcome can be, but they're prepared. They're just prepared. And uh, kudos right. to you for, for kind of really um, holding the torch there and leading the way. Uh, I've seen, like I said, many, many researchers utilizing your your um, DNA kits, uh, such as myself and many others, and I've seen some uh, tremendous value and uh, a tremendous push for pro-science and the scientific method that science can actually look at and go, wow, okay, well, people aren't just like grabbing stuff and claiming it's Sasquatch. They're actually collecting it properly and and, then getting it vetted. And that's, that's exactly what um the Bigfoot research field needs. Yeah. I mean I mean, are you you know, at the end of the day, you know, I look at myself, I, w- I want this is what I want. I want my grandchildren to say, My grandma was a good citizen and she tried she was a good conservationist. She wanted the best for the species. Um are you out to, you know, get attention? Are you out to prove scientific evidence? You know, that is, and you, you know, that that's what we want to do. I, I, the species is most important. You and I are not important. My only goal is, am I doing the right thing? for the species, you know, which means proof. And proof is truth, you know. Um, people, the Internet, like you, Shane, you've heard me say, you know, <laughs> Bigfoot research went to hell when insanity met the Internet. Because everybody goes out and says, this is evidence, I saw this, I saw that. 
that's not evidence. That's your opinion and belief. I, I really don't care about that. The only thing I care about is if I get one scientist to pay attention to what I'm doing, I think I'm doing it correctly. And those people that give you shit, excuse my language, about calling yourself a citizen scientist, would they call a seventh grader a citizen scientist or give him a hard time about being a citizen scientist when he's out doing the same thing that we're doing? Because I go into schools with Nick Redfern and we teach children about, you know, cryptid evidence and what we're looking for and how to go about it. And I, just two weeks ago, I went to the most influential, I mean, it is the the epitome of Dallas school district. And I, I took a bird's nest in and had the kids deconstruct the bird's nest to find hairs. And then we take the hairs, we send them off to find out what kind of hairs they are. We're not looking for Bigfoot. We're looking for what isn't Bigfoot evidence. If it comes up unknown, then we're on the right track. Isn't that all what we're looking for? And anybody that would call you out and say something derogatory to you about being a citizen scientist, how are you going to react to children that we're teaching in the seventh grade and calling themselves the citizen scientists? There's no way they can be, you know, they can have a degree at that age. So it's ridiculous. I I don't have a degree. I have, you know, people like Pascal Hart. Pascal Hart is an expert in DNA, and he calls me a citizen scientist. I look at him with the utmost respect, and if I get any kind of evidence, guess who's going to be the first person I send it to? It will be him because he's going to know who else to send it to. All I'm trying to teach is get into learning what could be beneficial beneficial for evidence collection or evidence for the species. Make yourself a expert at that, or at least a scientist or a citizen scientist expert at that, and do yeah. your very best at doing the right thing. Because if we can get science in, interested in us at what we're doing, then we're so much closer to actual grants that will be put out to do the research, uh, people like you and me that are um, funded to do the research, or even people we don't know that have way more qualifications, like David Ellis' daughter, who's a um, primatologist. And yeah. she contacts me and tells me, Shelly, you're doing the work for me, and we appreciate that. We need that. That's what people don't understand. The scientific community only has so much money and so many people to do the research. People like us that are doing it correctly 
they will use our evidence and contact us because I've been contacted and say, thank you, you are helping us. When you get something, please come back to me and let me know. That would lead to grants that would help us in the whole of this whole journey. No, fantastic, fantastic point, Shelley, and I totally agree with you. Um, switching gears here, though, you know, um, I want to get into your your uh, past trip out here at the Pacific Northwest. Uh, once again, you were mm-hmm. back out here in the Pacific Northwest. But I'd like to know, you know, uh, since you've made it home to Texas, the great state of Texas, uh, what have you been up to? I know you've been on a few outings. Um, in fact, I'm not sure if you want to discuss this or not. I didn't talk about this with you off, uh, off air, but um, before you left, you uh, were sent some interesting um, uh, 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 impressions, uh, ground impressions. Uh, I believe they were in Texas. Um, uh, have you had any follow-up with that? Is that something you'd like to discuss? Because uh, they were very intriguing to me. I know they were crossing a creek, but I don't know if that's something you actually want to touch upon tonight. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, honestly, <clears throat> excuse me, honestly, um no, those impressions were fantastic, but they were also during, well, when I got the impressions sent to me, it was because the gentleman that had sent them, excuse me, the gentleman that had sent them had just found out that I was an investigator for Bigfoot. And so the impressions were at least oh, I don't know, five months old. And so we hadn't, you know, it had happened in in the early months of spring, like February here in Mm -hmm. Texas. And um, I didn't get back until mid-September. And I have not been able to go out and investigate those impressions since. But I'm going to, but I want to do it closer to the time of the episode because I believe it's a uh, yearly thing in this area uh, because of the fish activity. Um, Ah, gotcha. I can go real into depth about it because it's during the spawn when this activity happens. And the spawn in this creek would be where literally you and I could reach in and grab the fish. Right. During the salmon spawn. Um, I've been extremely busy. So that's one of the reasons I haven't been able to get out to the area. Uh, But I'm absolutely going out. But I really want it to be when um, I feel like, the activity is going to be high in that area. I, I know that sounds really odd and um, probably not a researcher's ideal uh, way of doing things, but um, I've been just so busy, and I've been working a lot so I can yeah. afford to do more research, and I've been on more researching events in the meantime as well. 
So it's just been a lack of time, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I get but all that. And I, I just I wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to touch upon those impressions because uh, when I, I, I did actually get to see uh, a few of the pictures, and I was really impressed, and, and it was intriguing. Oh, I am too. Based off the circumstances and where they were found and everything else. So I was just, I hadn't actually heard of a follow-up, but I, I figured you were really busy. I know you've been on other um uh, trips out. I mean, you you got back to Texas after months out here in the Pacific Northwest, and you still hit the the ground running. You had to work, and you were still making trips out. I was just curious as to mm-hmm. you know if there was um you know some of the trips you made it out there, uh, and maybe some of the if there's any recent news from Texas on sightings or anything going on in that area or the surrounding areas, Louisiana well, and whatnot. Well, the thing about those impressions, I can tell you right now. The area, I know very well. It's actually my fishing spot. And um, there is nobody out there between here and fishing season. They just, I go by there quite often, um, but I haven't actually gone in and researched the area just for Bigfoot activity because I already know that the people that are in, and actually, if you look at the sightings and anything that's happened in that area, it's only during the, the spring, during the actual spawn. Um, so I feel like the creatures, if they're in the area, that's when it's going to happen. Now, that may not be true, but because I've been, you know, working so much and trying to make money, so I can do more research. I just haven't been able to get there. But those tracks are so intriguing and so amazing. The gentleman and his son that reported them, and they haven't reported them to anybody but us, tried to tra- take impressions, and I they're kind of iffy, and um, we'll... We'll have a whole write-up about that. I've, I'm already prepared for that, and I keep telling my husband, Don, I'm like, we've got to call the guys and get out there and look into it. Now, another thing about the area is that it's, it's a part of a state park, and I cannot go in that area and camp or do any research legally without the state park's approval. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's like a daytime trip type of thing because it's not a campsite. And, yeah, that makes it uh, extremely least, difficult. Yes. So that's part of it as well because um, here in Texas, we have more game wardens than you do have population in Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it, yeah. and that makes things even more yeah. difficult. <laughs> right. So it's almost like why would I try to go there and do research on a prolonged time? during? I would have better luck during the fishing season because Game Warden knows that we're going to fish all day and all night during the spawn. So it doesn't do me a whole lot of good to try to do that research in that area this time of year. Does that make sense? 
Oh, yeah, no, perfect sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, not that there's some sort of conspiracy with the game warden. <laughs> it's just no. that's their job. <laughs> and that's our law, and that is their job. And Texas is really up on um, – and, and this area, another thing about this area is it is highly um, – it, it, it has – tons and tons of artifacts in the area and we have a lot of people that are fined and go to jail and get all their personal possessions by, by artifacts taken you're away. talking about Native American stuff yes, yes. And, yeah. uh, and so they're constantly looking for poachers of artifacts in the small creek areas where these tracks were. And so if I park in and the area, the only place I can park my vehicle would be on the main highway. Because it's a creek crossing over through a highway, and then I would have to hike in. Or I would have to hike in through mangroves and briars and super thick brush that would take me a week to get through if I parked in the state park. And so mm-hmm. it's best for me to go back during the spring when they expect me to be there and I can park my truck on the highway for a day or two and they understand I'm fishing. And Shelly, so you Shelly, you brought yeah. up a great point though. A lot of the reports that I get that I can't share to the general public are from people doing illegal things where they come across something uh, yeah. like uh, an impression or something uh, or some sort of or a sighting or whatnot, and they're doing something illegal, whether it's poaching or um, uh, collecting artifacts that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, and so uh-huh. a lot of those reports come from people doing illegal things, and you don't hear about that to the general public, but sometimes these people will, will contact me or uh, in a conversa- private conversation, oh, I was doing this right. or that, and, I, it can, and that's interesting because a lot of these areas, um, you're only going to find this stuff if you're doing something illegal. <laughs> mhm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, I mean, there's even been issues in this area because it's so dense and so far back, but you, the only place to park is on this, um, I call it a highway. It's a highway, but it's almost like a logging road. Um, there's been people that have been caught, um, producing methamphetamine in this area. So I'm not interested in dealing with, uh, law enforcement and trying to explain to them, oh, no, I'm just looking for Bigfoot. Because guess what? We're in Texas. We're not in the Pacific Northwest. We are getting more and more people who um, or law enforcement who um, are not interested but accepting of the fact that there are people out there doing that. Right. at the same time, you look like you're a crazy person. I mean, it just, you know, <laughs> people laugh at it, you know. And, um, but, well, I'll put it this way. The only reason that gentleman contacted me, I knew him for quite a while before he knew 
I was a researcher, and the only reason he knew I was a researcher was because I had left for the Pacific Northwest, and he asked another gentleman, why isn't Shelly here fishing? Where's she at? What's she doing? And another gentleman who knew what I was doing said, she's crazy. She's up in the Pacific Northwest looking for Bigfoot. And then the gentleman said, that's not crazy. And he pulled the pictures out. Wow. In turn, the guy called my husband and said, I had no idea that is what Shelly did. This is what we found. My son saw the Bigfoot, blah, 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 blah. So, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you got a lot of interesting stuff going on in your home state and surrounding areas. I know you mm-hmm. made some trips out trips out to uh, – uh, with, with some fellow researchers, uh, you've done some camping and whatnot. But let's uh, let's jump into your trip out to the Pacific Northwest once again. Okay. Uh, I believe this is your is it your third year out here at the Pacific Northwest? It's either or was third it your, or fourth. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It, <laughs> I know. They, <laughs> you know, you got you've logged a lot of miles because it's quite a trip. I know you do yeah. the road trip. You don't fly to the Pacific Northwest. You, you, you spend a lot of money on a new vehicle, all sorts of equipment and camping um, stuff, and you drive out from Texas out to the Pacific Northwest. What's your draw to the Pacific Northwest? Now, I know you're a Limb Project member, and I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and your your initial trip out to the Pacific Northwest, you came up to the Olympic Project up in um, the Olympics uh, at the property we have. But what's your draw – this way, and let's get into a little bit about this recent trip that you um, partook in, because you went not just to uh, Washington, not just to Oregon, but you also went to California, and you researched with some of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, you know, I tell my friends I have a charmed life because I get invited a lot of areas and I'm very fortunate and I'm very thankful and grateful and first and foremost I've got to give you so many kudos and thanks Shane Corson because you put up with me you are my home base you've always been my home base you are the reason that I came to the Pacific Northwest not just Bigfoot but you and your family you have done so many wonderful things for me and put up with me. And Aunt Shelley has a has a bedroom in your home. And I couldn't <laughs> ask for a better buddy or a better friend because I don't know that I could do this without you. Um, I need to put that out there. Um, no, you would found you uh, would have found a way, Shelley, because you're 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 your tenacity and perseverance <laughs> is uh, uncanny. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have housed you uh, here in my, at my home on multiple occasions, yes, but uh, trust me, I'm, I'm the lucky one to have no. you uh, out this way, and it's a pleasure. So, no, uh, I just want to say it's a pleasure to have you out here because I've learned a lot from you, and uh, you're one ah. of my favorite people to get in the field with uh, just because of your, your keen eye, um, your objectivity, and, and just your your just your whole persona. You're just a fantastic researcher. So my pleasure. So, anyways, well, other than that, <laughs> okay. 
So, first and foremost, I feel that if, if Sasquatch is going to live anywhere, it's going to be in the Pacific Northwest because it's just that amazing. I mean, it's it's the entity of of just if if I was Sasquatch or what, just a human in general, I would want to live there in the woods. I mean, you have no uh, venomous snakes. You have no poisonous spiders. You have no true briars other than, you know, um, blackberries or, you know, those kind of things. Um, there's so many edibles there. The wildlife is is vast. Um, the the temperature is consistent pretty much in the Olympic um, yeah, Peninsula area. Um, I just felt like if Sasquatch was going to pick a place, that would be the place. And um, because of the vast amount of reports, I mean, of course, Texas has many, many, many <laughs> reports, but I feel like the Pacific Northwest was, or, you know, in Canada, that whole Northwest coastline was really where. Sasquatch created himself. You know, that was his home. And I felt like I needed to be there to, honestly, I need to be everywhere that Sasquatch has been and been reported because I feel it's important to understand the differences and the similarities in all those regions. But I felt the Pacific Northwest was the home base, you know, sort of like if a UFO came to, you know, North America, where would it land? And it would land in Roswell or whatever. Sasquatch is landing in uh, Washington. So that's where I wanted to be. You know, I felt like that's where it it truly generated from, you know, up to um, Canada in that region, and I wanted to be a part of that and and experience it and and kind of just gauge my research from there forward. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, no, I got you, and, I, and, I mean, and 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 I get yeah, I get your reason for coming out here. Trust me, I, I live out here and I see, uh, well, I, I see a lot of reasons to live out here. Uh, and, and of course, I do a lot of research on this area, and, and I can appreciate being um, originally a Southern California guy moving up this way. It blew my mind as to the natural resources, the amount of reports, the vastness. Uh, it, it blew my mind. You know, I, and I don't discount that there's Sasquatch in other areas like Texas and in other states, because I mean, quite honestly, Sasquatch has been reported, you know, reportedly seen in almost every state other than Hawaii. Uh, so, but I, I'll tell you that I, I don't think that Sasquatch is in every state, uh, you know, uh, all times of year. Maybe they pass through certain states, uh, maybe they live in certain states, but for me, my research is up here in the Pacific Northwest, but I do to pay attention to a lot of other states, 
and I live you know, viscerally between, you know, uh, through you guys, you know, uh, and, and many other researchers in these other states that are doing research because I think there's value to that, and I think there's something going on there. But Pacific Northwest, for me, is my home. Uh, it's where I have found the best evidence. It's where I've had an encounter, um, such as yourself, Shell. I mean, your your first, um, I guess, uh, real solid possible encounter occurred up here in the state of Washington, and you were alongside some fellow researchers, some great researchers, and uh, it was very compelling having uh, visited the area a couple of days after what you guys had, had transpired. Um, it, it kind no, of bored me yeah. in a lot of ways because, well, because of your recordings, because of um, the eyewitness testimony, being you and, and uh, Nathaniel uh, York Bronis, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and and so th- that initial enc- that encounter you had up here in Washington, um, does it really? Do you feel a draw to come back to Washington because of that encounter, or or I mean, how do you feel about that? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I go back <laughs> I to know, that right? area over and over and over, and I spend weeks there, weeks, not just days, weeks there. It is like the epitome of Bigfoot for me. Because, so let's kind of delve into, this is what is important to me. You know, people all the time put on Facebook or on the Internet, um, I found this. I'm not saying it's Bigfoot, but it's it's suspect. And I'm thinking, Okay, how many other things have you discounted before you even posted that? And how many other obvious, substantial pieces of evidence do you have to collaborate that that could possibly, not that it is Bigfoot, possibly be Bigfoot? My encounter of whatever it was was days on end of a ton of shit. You know, right. we've got recordings and we've got sightings and we've got more recordings and we left and came back six days later and we got recordings and we got rocks going on us and we still won't say it's Bigfoot. We think it probably is. But we're not going out and saying, what do you think? No, that, I I don't have any respect and I, I'm sorry, people can get pissed off at me. I don't have respect for those who put out stuff on a weekly basis or a daily basis, going out into the woods, coming home, showing a few pics or putting out a recording. What do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you think is, is, bait, is clickbait is what that is. And I'm not here. I, I do. Well, it's attention-seeking. Yeah, and clickbait. It's yeah. attention-seeking. And Shane, you know, this is what bugs me. Is I do thousands of hours of research. I do months at a time. I spend thousands of dollars, and I don't mind saying that because me and my husband are paying off credit cards constantly because of my research, because I spend so much time in the field. I spend more time in the field than I do in my own bed. Mm -hmm. And I never put out anything of what I found. 
because it's not evidence. It's speculation and it's my personal experience, which means nothing to science. It's a good idea, but when you put out that 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 statement, what do you think? Most of the time that means I think it's Bigfoot. Please confirm that. And I'm not here to get your confirmation. I'm not you're not gonna see anything from me unless I've got proof. Right. Because proof is truth and that is what the species deserves. It's the great North American Sasquatch, and we it deserves nothing less than proof of what we find. He may not want us to prove he's around, but he deserves nothing less than the best of the best from from all and everyone who tries to put out something that says, "What do you think?" Because it's clickbait. That's all that is. And it, yeah. it it bothers me. Um, so my encounter in the Pacific Northwest two years ago was hours and hours of documentation that I have on recordings. I have pictures, the pictures of the footprints that you took, the um, recordings of three days of knocks that we had, the visual that Nathaniel and I had, um, the pictures, and you remember, I told Nathaniel, don't talk to me, don't tell me what you saw, just draw it, because I didn't want to pollute his ideas, and I didn't want him to pollute my ideas. People do not take research realistically, scientifically, and with purpose. If you do, I most likely won't hear from you because the best evidence isn't put on the Internet. Absolutely. And, no, uh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, but, Shelly, you know, uh, coming out here to the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, you're very familiar with Texas and some of the surrounding states. Um, but coming out here, uh, obviously you've gotten a lot more familiar with uh, a lot of areas, because you've spent a lot of time in these areas. In fact, you spent a lot of time in these areas more so than some actual researchers in these areas. How does that? Right. Um, how's that? How's that a positive thing? I mean, coming into an area, not knowing an area, kind of coming in fresh, is that a positive thing in your right. in your opinion? Oh, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. So this is what is so. It's just ironic and really cool that I discovered about researching areas I didn't know about. You know, I mean, or going in like the Pacific Northwest. Um, the first thing I did, I remember talking to you about different animals and things that lived in your area and the sounds they make, um, their habits, and what they did. And so that made me delve into the Internet, which is the Internet is an amazing, wonderful tool that we can all use. And and honestly, I, I applaud those um, armchair researchers because they look into all those things, but they don't experience those things. 
I experienced or I wanted to experience what was going on in the Pacific Northwest. The wildlife was most important because I need to discount all wildlife first before I can call it Bigfoot activity or or suspect activity, which is another name for Bigfoot activity, in my opinion. Right. But it's a benefit to me to be an unknown to the area because I feel like people that live in an area, just like me living in Texas, I think I know everything about the wildlife in Texas because I live here and I've seen it all. Not true. Not true at all. Because all wildlife is evolving all the time. They're, they're changing and doing things they need to do to survive in their environment. The environment in their areas is changing all the time with whatever you want to call it, global warming, the invasion, invasion of people. You know, we're taking up the forest, logging. Things are changing all the time. And what it taught me was that I could go into an unknown area and it would make me really dig and search. I even, you know, when I go to the Pacific Northwest, I got guys going, I'm a bear expert. I'm a this kind of guy. I'm just, I know <laughs> this kind of wildlife activity. And I, I would take that to heart and I would be like, okay, cool. But this is what happened in the area. Let me research that more. And what I would find out is there would be things that happened in, say, the western part of the United Commons, but they were common in the eastern part of the United States with the same species. But your average Joe in the western part of the United States is not looking at what's going on in the eastern part of the United States because he already knows about his area because he is an expert because he lives there. He was raised and born there. He's a hunter. He's a gatherer. He's whatever. But I'm not. So I'm looking at everything. I'm digging, 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 digging. I need to find the answer that is not Bigfoot first. And that is the benefit of researching into areas that you are not familiar with. No, that's yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I've I've seen your influence and your um, your research methods and ideas uh, in in the Pacific Northwest. You brought a, kind of a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways into the researcher research out here and with the the researcher. Um, you know, Shelley, uh, what can you describe? You know, uh, you spent. You know, months out here, which culminated culminated into you know you speaking at the uh, International Bigfoot Conference in Kenwick, Washington. You know, can you talk a little bit about um, uh, some of the trips you made out here and some of the people you worked with, and and of course, you know, anything that was of interest to you uh, while you were out here. Oh sure. Um, well, oh my goodness. So overall, of course. You and I have worked together thousands of hours together. (laughs) You know, we've done a lot of things. And um, I think the highlight of my my, um, research in the Pacific Northwest, which I have a bucket list. I need to go 
to all the places that are extremely important to Bigfoot history. That is a number one. Why were these things happening? It, because they're all significant and they're very real. Um, was the Ape Canyon incident. Um, Mark Mitzell asked me to come out and I was floored. And you got you you came out and Gunner and Abigail, and um, I think that is the highlight of anything and everything I've done in the Bigfoot world, because Abigail and I were the first women, women to be at the site, and we absolutely ever. know, yeah, yeah. ever, um, we absolutely know that that is. The site. I mean, from the evidence we found, which is pure physical evidence that we could stab you in the eye with, you know. And um, everything that went on with that was exciting and fucking scary to, oh, excuse me, extremely scary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because there was danger involved. but just being at that site, I think, was is the epitome of everything I've ever done in Bigfoot research, just top-notch. Um, I've also been to the um, Olympic Project nesting site, which gave me a whole new perspective about the site. What I have understood and seen at every site I've been to where extremely important things have happened is that these places are extremely smaller than what you expect. The Ape Canyon site was extremely smaller than what I expected. The Olympic Project um, nesting site, extremely smaller than what I expected. And um, this, the Sierra Kills area was also extremely smaller than what I expected. Um, the Olympic Project site, um, I'm very, that site was extremely interesting because I think there is some extremely important things happening there. And I think it's going to put some things on the map. And I don't know that it's going to be Bigfoot related. And I'm just saying that the Olympic Project nesting site is a very important site no matter what it is. Yeah, I agree. No matter what it is, it's something. No matter what it is. Yeah, no matter what it is. Extremely important. To wildlife conservation, preservation, and wildlife activity in general, I think it is on a new horizon of very cool things to discover. Yeah, I'll and wildlife behavior, way. regardless, wildlife behavior undocumented up here in the Pacific Northwest, and that to me is is compelling exactly. and interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, beside the nesting site, I mean, you went out with Barcatino um, to to yeah. the Sierra Kills, you know, the, the famous Sierra yeah. Kills site. Um, and you can research this online all day. You'll, you'll you can yeah. tell your own story there. But 
you managed to make it with Barcatino, not just to the Syracuse. Barcatino came up to the Pacific West once again in Washington and did uh, what he does best. The, the, you know, he's a Fleer master like Kurt Brandenburg. Oh, yeah. And you got to spend time out with him, and he's a brilliant mind all by himself. Oh, absolutely. So Bart came up to the area. I had my quote-unquote possible encounter because he had had an encounter there years ago before Fleer even recorded. And um, there's pictures out there of what he saw on his Fleer. Cliff Brackman was there, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Tom yeah. Amarone. Bob Gimlin. Uh, Bob Gimlin is very, very, very familiar with this area. Matter of fact, I told him I was going out and I was going to be there at a certain time, and he came out to look for me. Bob did. And I wasn't there because he got the date wrong. It was terrible. I felt so bad because he said, Shelly, I was so worried about you. You know, and he goes, But why am I worried about you? You're Shelly Montana. You know, so, but, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> anyway, you know the area very well, but Bart, Bart Catino had had his first episode of Sasquatch on Fleer in this area, and it was very close, and that's another episode of how close and how small these sightings, these super awesome events that we hear about in history you think they're hundreds of years away from each other. No, they're up close and personal. So when I go to these areas, I feel like, okay, this ain't no BS. These people really are having an experience with an unknown entity because you can't mistake it for a bear because it's too close. Um, but Bart invited me out to the Sierras because that was also, not only were the Sierra kills there, you know, reported by um, Justin Tameha, but also that is where Bart Catino got his FLIR images from. Yeah, the first recorded FLIR images, yeah. Yes. And um, with multiple Bigfoot, um, now... What you got to understand is where Bart cleared these these creatures is only, oh, my goodness, a house length away from the campfire, which uh, Todd Hale, his, his story, because he was at the campfire, if you listen to Todd Hale talk about this experience, it's extremely emotional and very creepy and disturbing. But that exact spot where that happened is only a couple hundred yards away from where Justin Smeha supposedly shot the the Bigfoot. So I mean, what kind of coincidence is that? I mean, to me, it was unreal. So if you know our good friend, Kurt Brandenburg, who is an extremely close friend of mine and 
someone who, when you go research with him in places like this, he will give you every detail, put you in the exact spot, and tell you what happened at that moment and what everybody was doing. He's a great historian and um, gives us so much insight about how these encounters worked out. Yeah. Um, Shelly, we're getting towards the end of the show here. I have to uh, say we're going to have to do a part two with you because I have so much to discuss with you. And uh, I want to follow along with some some more of your experiences out here in the Pacific Northwest, and I want to follow up with uh, what you're up to now and your future endeavors. I also want to get into – um, on the next show, part two, uh, you, you know, your um, International Bigfoot Conference uh, uh, presentation, because it was fantastic. It was one of the best presentations at the, at that event. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. we're running out of time here, and uh, met, but I got so much to discuss with you, um, and we'll definitely do a part two. Okay. Sounds yeah, great. Definitely I've got do a lot a, more to share. Yeah. Oh, I, I know you do. Uh, I, I love talking with you, but we're closing up you know, here to the end of the show. I want to thank you for joining me um, this evening on Montrex Radio. Uh, and and uh, listeners, uh, please stay tuned. We'll, we'll definitely have Shelly back on the show here shortly. We'll do a part two with her because I know Shelly's got much more to share, to talk about, discuss, and uh, a fantastic guest. Uh, and so, uh, Shelly, thank you so much for joining Montrex Radio this evening. Thank you so much, Shane. I love it. All right, well, uh, we'll get you back on the show here for part two. And for um, uh, for you listeners out there, I hope you look forward to hearing more from Shelley Company in Montana, one of the the uh, top researchers out there, one of the best female researchers out there, bar none. Um, we have much to uh, talk about, and I'm looking forward to having her back on the show, and we will have her back on the show here shortly for part two. Uh, I want to I want to thank everybody for listening in on Monstrux Radio here this evening, and uh, stay tuned for more updates and uh, a continuing conversation with uh, researcher Bigfoot researcher Shelley coming to Montana. All have a great evening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>